0: Welcome to the podcast series Behind the Screens hosted by me, Jock Glover, Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. As you know now, this series of podcasts, we meet members of the investment team from across the asset management industry whose funds we rate and spend some time talking to them and getting some insight into their thinking. This week, I'm delighted to say that our guest is Ben Peters. He's co-founder of Evenload Investments. He's the lead manager on the Evenload Global Income Fund and co-manager of Evenload Income. The Evenload Global Income Fund is $1.7 billion in size and aims to provide income and capital growth over five-year rolling periods with an emphasis on income. And the 3.1 billion Evenload Income Fund has a similar objective, but has focused more on the UK equity market. Both funds have been awarded a double A rating by our team of fund analysts. Ben, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, John. Before we start talking about the funds, um, I just wondered, I was doing a bit of research on you, and I found on your website, uh, the Evenload Foundation, which you established in 2021. And I just wondered if you could talk me through what that was and why you've uh, established it,
1: yeah, of course, and I'm, I'm glad you found it. It's um the Eblow Foundation is really um, formalising a, a, a home for uh, uh, something we've been doing for a long time, actually, which is um, charitable giving. So we support a range of uh, organisations in our local area. We're based near Chipping Norton in Oxfordshire, uh, and we also um, support some national and international charities uh, as well. Um, alongside that, we also uh, have a, a portfolio of positive impact investments. They're made for financial return, but companies that are um, looking to solve some kind of societal problem at at a startup stage. So uh, this is funded uh, entirely by the the profits of even-owned investment. We contribute um, up to 20% of our net profits each year uh, to the foundation, uh, and then that's used for those purposes. And uh, the impact portfolio is really interesting. So it's it's not... um, uh, it's not funded with client money just to be very clear uh, but it does give us insights that we we can take uh, uh, and use on our client portfolios so that's things like technological developments that are that are happening um, companies that are addressing challenges like decarbonization uh, those sorts of things so we do um, have have learnings from that that are of, of direct relevance to our uh, client portfolios uh, as well so that's it's really, really interesting to be running it. It's really great that we can support uh, lots of organisations. I should say I can't really take the credit for the work that it does. It's managed by my colleagues, Savan, and Tom and David, and, and the finance team, so uh, they, they should take the credit there.
0: Well, I think it's a very laudable thing to have done, and uh, well done you for doing so. Now, let's go back to the funds that you are managing on a day-to-day basis. Um, in both strategies, uh, one of your... Th- key things is looking to invest in high quality growing dividend paying companies what does the current market look like to you as a manager looking for companies like that particularly given what interest rates have done over the last 18 months across uh, the UK and the world
1: yeah well it's clearly been a a, a very interesting time for many reasons coming out of the back of the coronavirus pandemic uh, we've obviously had um, unfortunately the breakout of uh, war in Ukraine in that time, and now we've got rising tensions uh, in the Middle East as well. And uh, uh, so, there's always something. There's always something going on. But I think it's been a particularly interesting couple of years. I think uh, from our point of view, uh, businesses, you know, the businesses that we invest in on our clients' behalf, uh, you know, they found themselves to be pretty adept at coping with that that volatility that there's been. So whether that's inflation, supply chain challenges, uh, or whatever, you know, these businesses have coped pretty well. Um, they are, I mean, you mentioned rising interest rates, we tend to invest in businesses that have relatively low levels of debt on their balance sheets. So there is an impact from that, but it's relatively muted for us, the sort of company that we uh, invest in using the Ethernet investment approach. Um, uh, and then, you know, in the current sort of environment, the market environment, you know, despite having had pretty resilient um, uh, fundamental business performance. Uh, a lot of businesses' share price performance has not matched that. It's been quite weak, and you know, they, uh, particularly in the consumer goods sector, the healthcare sector, where you know we do find a lot of uh, companies that tick that, those boxes that you mentioned. So you know, they're growing businesses, they generate a lot of cash flow, they reinvest in their products and services for customers, and you know, for us, that, I think that represents an opportunity.
0: And, and and those businesses that you just highlighted there, have they been able to? pass on their inflated costs or or, or the the effects of inflation from their businesses to their end customers? Has that been something relatively easy for them to do? Uh,
1: They have done it. I don't think um, very much in the world of business is easy right now, but um, uh, I think that they have been able to do that. And it does give us a little bit of a window onto the macroeconomic situation. I mean, we're not macroeconomists. We don't make predictions about what's going to happen, but we we do uh, hear from companies and what's going on. And what companies are telling us right now actually is that um, they're seeing their input costs come down in some in some cases very quickly, uh, things like transportation packaging uh, and others and and what that means is that they now don't need to pass on those costs as, as aggressively as they have done historically and, that, and and now we are now starting to see that come through into sort of headline inflation figures which are coming down as well so um, so yes, they have been able to do that, but they don't need to do it as long as uh, as long as uh, things get a bit easier from their supply chain and, and input cost picture, and that seems to be the case at the moment.
0: And, and I mean, the global fund particularly, you've got a MSCI World uh, as your benchmark, which is a very broad benchmark, uh, despite the fact that you're an income strategy. Um, yeah, and. You've actually managed to generate pretty reasonable return over the last five years, if you look at the longer returns, despite some of the more growth orientated stocks having, you know, raced away. You hear about the, you know, the Fantastic Seven and all that sort of stuff out, out in the tech stocks, et cetera. Yes. What is it that you found that has allowed you to to do that, to keep generating half decent returns, despite against a benchmark that is is not really tilted to how you run money?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a pretty interesting benchmark, and uh, I mean, I think with any strategy, you know, we have a we have a particular strategy. You know, we look we look for those businesses that can self fund, and you know, we invest in them when the valuations are are looking undemanding. And you know, I think, but I think whatever your strategy, whether it's deep value, whether it's growth, it's important to to stick to it, whether it happens to be outperforming or underperforming. I think this year has been a very interesting sort of. Micro, microcosm of that as well which I can come on to but yeah I think over that longer time, time period you know we, we look to control what we can control and that is the qualities of the businesses that we invest in on our clients behalf and the valuations that we pay uh, whilst managing you know, valuation and business risk um, and you know those companies really have grown steadily through time and that really has what's been what's delivered um, the returns to uh, our clients because you know, they haven't had a uh, valuation re-rating, and we do manage the valuation of the portfolio through through time. So we have maintained the valuation appeal, but they haven't had a re-rating overall. So the returns, therefore must have been delivered by the fundamental performance of, of those businesses over time. Over shorter time periods, um, you know the market gets excited about different things, and you know the the, the performance comes and goes. But uh, uh, very much in the longer term and thinking, you know, looking forward. Uh, we would expect that the the fundamental growth of the businesses to be uh, the the driving force of uh, what delivers returns.
0: And you mentioned at the start of this uh, conversation that valuations for some of the companies that you um, invest in haven't reflected their business performance. So Mm. I'm assuming that that means that there's more opportunities out there for you to go and, and either add to existing positions or to open new positions. Is that something that you've, Found yourself doing over the last 12, 18 months?
1: Yeah, uh, to an extent, uh, that's right. And I think if you look at um, the performance attribution by sector of the, of, of, uh, the global income fund over that uh, the last five years, you know, we can see that uh, we have had you know big benefit from investing in some uh, information technology companies. This is the sort of uh, the, the big thing in the, in the markets at the moment. Um, a lot of the Magnificent Seven, you know, their technology names. Um, and you know that it's been a big performer for the, for the fund, but actually it's the biggest source of relative un, relative underperformance for the fund over the last five years, which just goes to show how strong it's been in in the market um, you know other sectors where we've had a benefit have been from industrials where we we don't uh, really focus on sort of you know capital heavy business models so we're really looking at service companies information companies those sorts of things so that's been pretty good for the fund um and relatively speaking, avoiding underperforming sectors like utilities and, and, and real estate over that time has been a benefit. But you know, for our, for us, you know, consumer goods is a big sector, healthcare is a big sector, and those those sectors have underperformed, and and that's where we do see opportunity. So we have been sort of allocating uh, to those those sectors. We we, we tend to make uh, portfolio changes gradually through time. We call we call it the portfolio nudge. to Really marry up, you know, responding to short-term uh, opportunity and managing risk, uh, you know, with, if market prices change as they as they do, uh, but with the thought that we that fundamentally we're long-term investors, you know, we think that, that we invest in businesses that that can can grow, as I was saying, and they, that that delivers the returns to our client. That's the main our client. That's the, that's the main thing that we 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 do. But we do manage uh, valuation risk, and it does look like particularly in, in consumer goods and healthcare at the moment. There's, there's, there's underlying valuations.
0: I'm going to ask you an unfair question just because you've mentioned l- time periods and, and longevity of holding. What is your average holding period for a company, do you know?
1: Uh, it's about six years. Okay. Yeah, so the portfolio turnover rate is sort of 17%, 18% on average uh, since we launched the strategy. And actually, for the, uh, that's for the Global Income Fund. And, and it happens to be almost exactly the same for the low-income uh, Fund that we've been managing since two thousand and nine. So uh, sometimes the the, the the turnover rate is higher, and you know through the COVID years when there was quite a lot of relative volatility in the market, you know the, the, the turnover rate for the global income fund was a bit higher. and then sometimes there's not so much going on, and we're we're very happy to be patient and uh, not not do too much if we don't have to.
0: And and you when we was open this chat, we were talking about the stuff that was going on in Ukraine, the stuff in the Middle East, etc. You're very much stock picking. You're not sitting there from a macro perspective, allocating based on your macro views um, so much. So, so what is it that keeps you awake at night um, as a fund management team? What are you worrying about? What do you when you have your team meetings? Go, what about this? What about that? what, what is it that makes you nervous?
1: Well, I mean, there is always something to worry about, whether it's um, you know sort of uh, uh, geopolitical tensions or whether it's you know a pandemic or or whatever. And um, I think you know we. We have a, a, a well-defined process at, at even load investment, and we've invested a lot in a very, very capable team. It's really enjoyable working with the team. So, And, and I think we lean heavily on that. Um, so I think, you know, I actually sleep pretty well at night. <laughs> um, but if I, you know, if I am up and sort of thinking about things, actually normally I'm thinking about how, you know, is there there's some idea that I need to jot down or some thinking about how we can improve things, you know, within our process or you know, thinking about uh, something that we're, we're working on in terms of a, in terms of a project. Uh, I think for that kind of big picture, you know, the geopolitical stuff, you know, we do think about it, but we're not, we're not analysts of that, but we do clearly need to assess business performance, being, being business stock stockmakers um, uh, in the context of what's going on in the world. We can't just, we can't just ignore what's happening in the world and, uh, and, and just look at, um, somehow just look at companies. You know, companies are operating in the real world, so we need to understand what's going on even if that's not how we then kind of apply our process.
0: Yeah. And you talked about the team there. Um, we haven't really talked about the team, who, who does what and how you split your time up and how much of your time is spent running the portfolio versus meeting companies, et cetera. Uh, how, how, do, yeah. how, how does the team work together?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it's uh, it, it's been really, it's been a, a really satisfying experience building the team that we've got now, at so even though the investment and, um, uh, and that has meant that my role has changed over the years from when it was just myself and Hugh in 2009. It's clearly quite, quite different. We've got an investment team of 18 now. Um, and, you know, first thing for me personally, you know, each day is is always looking at the news. So that's the big picture stuff, you know, the headlines and all the stuff you'll hear you know, on the BBC or, you know, reading the FT or whatever. Um, clearly looking at corporate releases, so you know, what's coming out of companies, uh, the news flow around companies as well. Uh, and events so those capital markets days etc then we'll we'll uh, be having a look at those and then you know because we do have a team now that's out doing the research and uh and doing some really great in-depth work you know i'm looking at the research that the team is producing and um uh, and so on so that's really the first thing uh, of every day uh, that, 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 that that fills my time um for the team mondays are really important we're we come into the office on on mondays and tuesdays unless uh, there's a very good reason to be somewhere else and um on mondays that's what in the morning we have our all hands investment meetings that's where uh, uh, you know analysts and, and portfolio managers managers discuss you know the, the research they've done meetings they have had with companies and and, and uh, experts and, and that sort of thing uh, and that's really a communications and information sharing forum um, now that's not where we make decisions because that's that's 18 people if everybody's in on that day uh, and that's uh, clearly not a very good uh, number of people you know, to, to be making decisions. Uh, so we actually, on in the afternoon break, break that down into smaller teams um, who are responsible for making the day-to-day decisions on, on each portfolio. So uh, for uh, the Global Income uh, funds, you know that's myself and uh, Chris Elliott who've been the managers on uh, the portfolio since since launch six years ago, uh, and we're now been joined by uh, Rob Bethan. Uh, and another Ben we've got two Ben's on the uh, on the global income team uh, so Ben Armitage has very recently joined us um, and we're so we're responsible that's what our portfolio nudge meeting in the afternoon uh, for taking everything that we've heard and saying okay looking at the, the portfolio and saying right what, what should we do directionally to any holding uh, you know um, really as a fund manager you can do one of three things you can increase it you can decrease it or you can do nothing yeah. <laughs> obviously we, we, we talk about what magnitude and what's your the- shape of the portfolio so you know we need to make sure we're, we're doing our risk management job we're doing our diversification job you know that sort of stuff so we do look at, look at the portfolio as well as the individual audience in that meeting
0: cool thank you for that um now i'm going to ask you probably our last question of the of, of the chat um, and that is in your Monday meetings in the last week or three have you come up with an interesting statistic uh, that you've gone wow that I wasn't expecting that that's blown me away or crikey I need to go and do a bucket load of research on what that means and what the implications of that are
1: well uh, I mean we're, we're hearing lots of interesting stats all the time and I think that um, uh, in, in a range of different sort of settings so you know, it has been the third quarter reporting season recently so you know, I'm, I'm looking on the lookout for how portfolio companies are performing and, and the broader investable universe. You know, and seeing kind of pretty steady revenue growth come through for the even though global income portfolio, for example, is is pretty. It's been pretty uh, encouraging. So, uh, just over five percent average revenue growth, despite it being a bit more of a difficult economic environment, which is encouraging. So, corporate performance, always looking at that. Uh, But a couple of other things. So I'm, I'm, uh, one of my responsibilities in the business is as a director, um, I'm responsible for the stewardship strategy of the business. So I'm thinking about uh, sort of stewardship, ESG, matters of sustainability, that sort of stuff. So um, uh, there's been a couple of stats that have come across my desk recently that I think speak to decarbonisation and the sort of uh, risks and opportunities there. So um, globally, cotton a kilogram of cotton um, produces uh, two kilograms of carbon dioxide when it's produced, um, but in India, it's eight kilograms. <laughs> so there's there's a, an interesting opportunity uh, to uh, reduce the impact of, of cotton. Uh, so that, so
0: that's that's the process of that's the process of growing it, harvesting it, processing it, and putting it into yeah. something you and I are wearing—a shirt or whatever. That's producing works, two yeah. kilograms of CO two on average, and eight in yeah. India. Okay. Wow. in India.
1: So, and another another carbon dioxide stat. So, Ventolin, which is a respiratory uh, drug that, that treats asthma that many people may well uh, may well use, um, is made by GSK, a uh, UK pharma company, and it contributes forty nine percent the the um, uh, the device that delivers Ventolin. Forty nine percent of GSK's direct carbon emissions, and they're developing a new uh, method of delivering it, which is much much less uh, carbon intensive. So. Um, what these things, I mean, they're kind of interesting in and of themselves, but we're always thinking, well, what what are the, what are the risks and what are the opportunities for companies in their supply chain? Yeah. You know, and, and I think hearing where there are, you know, we do need some system change around this, but actually there are some really kind of straight, relatively straightforward ways that perhaps we can we can make progress in the near term towards the, the sort of global ambition of net zero by 2050. So I think about that quite a lot as well.
0: Well, those two statistics about, um GSK and Ventolin and, uh, and the cotton certainly give me something to go and think about as well. Um, ben, uh, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Um, we've run out of time on, a, on, on the podcast, so all that uh, remains is for me, Jock Glover, to thank you for your time, your insights, um, and the listeners for your support. Uh, I said every week. Uh, if you want to contact us, please do so, either through our webpage, www.squaremileresearch.com or by emailing us at info at square mile <laughs>
1: This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Investment Consulting and Research. Square Mile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Square Mile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.